0: Welcome to Have You Not Seen That? My name is Crossman.
1: I'm Charles. I'm Wilson. Uh,
0: This is a podcast where we admit to films that we haven't seen. I think sometimes it's challenging to do that when someone's like, hey, have you seen this movie? And it's easy to say yes because you understand culturally where a movie fits. But we are admitting things we haven't seen. And last week, Wilson, you admitted you had not seen the 1970 film The Conformist. Tell us yes. about it.
2: Yes. Uh, yeah. uh, so this is, yeah, like you said, the 1970 movie, Conformist. This is one I tried to watch a few years ago, mm-hmm. um, and there was something wrong with the Netflix version at the time, and it didn't work, and then I never That's got weird. back to it since then. Oh. Uh-huh. Yeah, I, like, filed a ticket with Netflix. and they didn't. sure they got
0: right back to <laughs> it. Yeah, yeah
2: exactly. <laughs> well, yeah. And I said, we'll, we'll look into that. Yeah. Um, but in any event, I've watched it now. Um, so I didn't know that much about this one going in. I knew um, Bertolucci through Last ta- the, you know, notoriously problematic uh, Last Tango in Paris, um, and I know that he died a few years ago, but that was the only movie of his that I'd seen um, And I knew that this one loomed very large in his filmography and it's frequently cited by a lot of American directors including Spielberg and Scorsese and mm-hmm. Coppola and guys like that those 1970s American new wave era um, So other, but other than that I didn't know much about the plot um, It takes place in fascist Italy during World War II. The main character is, uh, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna screw up all these Italian names, but <laughs> his main character's name is Marcello, he is some variety of civil servant or something in um, for the Italian fascist government, um, and he gets roped into essentially um, identifying and then assassinating his former professor who is an anti-fascist operative in Paris. Uh, Throughout this, he is also arranging to be married to what he describes as a mediocre, simple woman that he knows in Italy. He is striving throughout this movie for normalcy. He wants to be a conventional person, he wants to do what is the the most average thing, he wants a a conventional domestic life, and that that is what he is after. Um, this movie is told out of order. Um, the, most of it is framed around him being driven to the site of the uh, assassination by his fascist handler. Um, throughout that we see flashbacks to um, sequences with his mother and his, his father who was held in an insane asylum due to some syphilitic mental condition. Um, we get a little bit of his wedding. Uh, we give a sequence wherein he is confessing his sins to uh, a Catholic priest because they're in Italy. Um, we learn in we learn in that sequence um, that he was sexually assaulted by a chauffeur that his family hired uh, when he was 13 years old. He comes from wealth, he, right? Yeah, he is. Yeah, yeah he is wealthy. Um, that is clear, and the, yeah, they had a chauffeur. Um, it is not clear if he was actually raped during the sequence. It is also not clear if he ended up actually killing this guy or not. Probably, but maybe not. The movie leaves that open. Um, as the movie progresses, it becomes more and more clear that this guy is not a reliable narrator um, and that that what we we are seeing from him may not so much be a representation of the truth as it is a representation of what he wants the truth to be. Um, When he gets to Paris, uh, that is a joint now honeymoon and assassination trip, um, he meets his former professor and Target's wife. They somehow fall in love very quickly. Um, He kind of cheats on his wife with her. Um, And they end up both being killed uh, on the street outside of Paris on their way to a cabin. Um, The professor and his wife. wife. Um, We jump forward several years. The Marcello and his wife are in Rome as the fascist government is falling. Um, The... Uh, Marcello character is leaves the apartment to meet up with one of his uh, other fascist handlers who is a blind man, a blind fascist, imagine that, um, <laughs> and uh, believes that he sees the man who raped him in, uh, or sexually assaulted him in the street, and he also ends up accusing this man of the, the assassination that he actually committed. Um, the movie has a dreamlike quality to it. Um, it has a very intentional... Framing in a lot of its scenes, like there's a lot of purposeful camera movements and per- very purposeful camera placement and orchestrated mise en scene uh, throughout the film that I, I found really compelling. Um, I looked at the movie a lot. I, like I was riveted. I, I, I like every sequence here just. I was enraptured immediately.
0: There's an important like queer subplot. Yes,
1: certainly. Yeah, like so, yeah. I think it's implied that he might be gay. Right,
2: and that that that's what the assault is—is is him yeah. like de- failing to deal with his homosexuality, um, and that is certainly in the literature about this movie because yeah. you you have like these these three, the like two triangles in this movie of the triangle between Marcello, his wife, and the Anna, the
0: I, I don't know if spouse. he's gay, but he like. He's, he's not straight, right. he, there's like a queerness. Right. Yeah, he, yeah, yeah. yeah, he's Cause, clearly cause attracted. Because he does like, follow, fall in love with like, the professor. He's attracted wife. to women, he's like, he certainly attracted to women. But yeah. and then
2: there, there's this other triangle between him, the professor, and his fascist handler guy that is like predicated on violence, um, and then this is also overlaid with his latent, what must be bisexuality, yeah. um, queerness in any event. Yeah. Um, that is, yes, clearly present in the film and like intentional, I believe. Um, so the, I, I didn't really ex- know what to expect going into this one. All I'd heard is that it's a classic. It was made by a great Italian director, and that it is beautifully shot. Um, I, but yeah, I really liked it. I really, really liked
0: it. I thought it was great. Uh, Crossman, what did you think of this one? I like the message of this film yes, a me too. lot, and I like the second half of the film. The movie is very disorienting. Yes, and yeah. it is hard to get into it. And I actually did not like like the first half of the film or so. Mm -hmm. I found it confusing and kind of like aggravating to watch. Agreed. (laughs) Uh, But then the second half is very good and a little not not as out of order as the first half is, Mm -hmm. which makes it a lot easier to watch uh, as an audience. And the sort of trip to Paris, there are elements of that that are confusing but makes a lot more sense and then by the time we get to the assassination of the professor and his wife, that scene is, like, harrowing. Yes. And yeah. I I think does a really great job of, like, driving home the message of, of the film. Like
2: like that his passivity is equivalent to endorsing whatever is going yes. on. Yes. Yeah. That yeah. he's a coward and... <clears throat> Refusing is, refusing to make a decision is Although he's yeah. still
1: he's the reason that this happened because he gave up the information That's the yes. whole reason that this was possible. Yes. Uh, he's yeah, He's also directly responsible for it. yeah, exactly um, but, but
0: apparently he doesn't feel much guilt about it either or he's um, he projects his he's like bothered you know, by it but Yeah, it's not like but then he's fine. And yes. we, we see that a few years later when uh, Mussolini resigns and is um, not killed yeah, and yeah. He, we see also that at, by the end of the film that he's, like, living very comfortably. Yep. And of that course he wealth, has a regular family. His wealth and like his fascism wanted. and his normalcy has protected him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Um, um, yeah. What do you, you think of this one, Charles?
1: I actually like this one a lot. Yes, I, I oh, I finally did on I don't know one. what to expect, <laughs> um, but it helps that the cinematography has got to be one of the best I've ever it's seen. gorgeous. It was amazing, and I was, like, just, like, totally enraptured by it all the way through. Just yeah. so many... Excellent shots, interesting ways that the camera moves. Like, it's just so beautiful. Um, but I also like the story a lot, the study of this character, uh, some very interesting discussions.
2: Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I'm so thrilled that you guys liked this movie. Yeah. Because, like, yeah. I, I, I was surprised. Yeah. Like, I, I, like I'll
1: admit, at the beginning, nice. like like Crossman said, like I was like, what is going on here? And I thought yeah. I was about to get lost. Um, but thankfully, like, the great camera angles and all that, like, kept me in. And then, like, the story, like, drew me even deeper in.
2: Yeah, the the way I read it is that the f- the first half of this movie is very Italian, like it feels like an Antonioni movie or something like that. Like this yeah. is Laventure, this is Blowout, this is what, one of those. And the back half of the movie felt very French, huh. where they're actually in France. It felt more like Godard, it felt more like Varda, something like that.
0: Well, there's um, like all these characters. Yep. They're they're each all, they all love each other. There's like or, Yeah, dance <laughs> you know there's like trysts that are happening. Right, but then like I'm the sure. whole, the whole thing is framed with
2: this just beautiful beautiful photography yeah. like there were there i remember there were a couple of moments where i paused to like go to the bathroom or get a drink or whatever and it's just like a random frame that i paused yeah. at it's like oh this is gorgeous <laughs> this is you just stop like, and to stare at it a bit right amazing like,
0: yeah. yeah it. and the movie does a lot to like communicate like we are in a fascist place yes. and it's like really large i mean uh, the wikipedia article about the movie says it so it's like very surface yeah. level read on the movie but like when when we're in a fascist place, it's very large architecture. Mm-hmm. Um, it's empty, bar like a few people in suits like walking through, and it's You're like Brazil. it's echoey yeah. and it's all made out of marble and like very inhuman yeah, well, like spaces. What I read yeah.
1: was they they filmed at the actual like area in Rome that the fascist regime built to celebrate its success. Yeah. Um. So I mean that's the perfect place to film it, obviously. Right. Yeah. Well, and
2: you he, he would specifically. Uh, Bertolucci and the c- cinematographer, whose name I really can't pronounce, um, <laughs> would specifically frame the, uh, our lead character as very small in these very big blank spaces. Yeah. So you have all of these sequences that look like he's literally being swallowed up by his surroundings. Yeah. And, and it, to me that's very effective and certainly communicates what fascism is about, which this, communi- th- this movie actually gets right. Right, because I, I think a lot of people like simplify fascism to be something that's just authoritarian, right? Like just, mm-hmm. you know, normal, like bland authoritarianism, which isn't that precise. Like, yes, mm-hmm. fascism is authoritarian, but it's also very concerned with hierarchy. And the, the metaphor that fascism uses is society as a body, that within the human body, Every organ has a function, limbs have a function. Your, your eyes are supposed to do a certain thing. Similarly, in a society like everybody has a, as a function and a role and you are, and you are to serve that role in service of the body that mm-hmm. is the fascist society. And they use that metaphor in this movie. like that is mm-hmm. lifted directly from, from fascist text and fascist writing. like that is how fascists understand themselves. And so the, the critique of fascism in this movie becomes, much more resident and real because they're actually critiquing the thing that fascists say they are. Yeah. Yeah. And that's so good. There was one
1: really small line that I thought actually really effectively characterized the situation where he first meets Manganiello, the handler, Mm And uh, I think Manganiello has some throwaway line about, like, caring for his family and the state or whatever. And then he says, you got to put the state before your family. I wrote that like down. That. Yeah. yeah, I
2: wrote it down. My and, notes.
1: like, that was a tiny moment, but that, yeah. like, was so effective for me.
2: Yeah, and that's just, like, everything is subsumed by the, the body, literally the body politic. Like, that that's the metaphor that, that they characterize here. And that it stands in such stark contrast to the Parisian scenes where you have, like, full rooms, right? Like there's people all over the
0: place. That's when we have that like yeah, it's circular. Like it's joyous and Right. Like everybody's happy. <laughs> yeah. Having a good time. And the handler, gets, yes. the handler gets like yelled at by a woman in a park. She's like, hey, yeah. it's something you know, weirdo. <laughs> I mean, like, yes. Yeah. Which is such a funny <laughs> yeah. sequence.
1: He's yeah. like, you think the birds <laughs> in Paris speak Italian? <laughs> yes. Which yeah. it was very funny. Yeah. Right. And,
2: and, and so it's it's such a great like it, it maintains a, a similar you know look like it's still the same movie but like you have rooms that are like you have that sequence where you're looking from the hallway into like the waiting room Mm -hmm. that the professor has and there's like 10 people in there and it's like if that had been shot during one of the roman sequences it would have been like one dude in a white blank room (laughs) right or like you have the the dance sequence where it's like everybody dancing this room is just full of everybody dancing in unison Mm -hmm. um contrasted with the dance sequence that we have if you even want to call it that, early in the Roman portions of the movie where it's just a single person dancing alone. Um, the wife does in the, in the bedroom or the living room. And it's like, I think that that matters, right? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. that's important. And
0: I think the movie does a good job of showing what is fascism and what is not fascism. And the sort of, like, normalcy that this character seeks unintentionally or intentionally, like, reinforces the elements of fascism. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, having a normal marriage, normal life, you will be fine in a fascist society. Yes. Like, if, as long as you don't, like, fall into one of these, like, weird groups. And if you just, like, put your head down and say, I'm fascist, then you'll be fine. Yeah. He, and and he That's his whole plotline, right? Past, he just
1: goes along with whatever the dominant is. Yeah, the passivity
0: is. of it is is important. But then when we see the contrast is in Paris, like, the anti-fascist part of this is, like, you should interact with culture and other people in mm-hmm. culture. And it can be fun, and you can... You know, you can go shopping in anti-fascism and meet all these go dancing. Yeah, yep. Go dining. Uh, yep. You should participate in culture through ballet and the arts and things like that, versus the way that like fascism interacts with the art is you put a giant painting on the wall and by the way, this is not a museum. Stop looking at it. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. You, <laughs> yeah, what a, yeah, It's a good sequence. Um, so I I like that messaging. It's like how culture. Interacts with fascism and re- reinforces it in some ways, and and fights against it in other ways. Right. So the key element being that like you should form a community and be a part of culture, versus like fascism, which is always like consuming culture but not like this, participating or, or, yeah. or
2: just displaying it. Yeah. Right.
0: Or just like it, to it, be worshipped.
2: It's it's yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's to be worshipped. It's a marker of something. Yeah. But it's not the. It's still removed from the thing itself. Right. Yep. So like you, that example that you had is, is dead on, right? Like the, yeah. the art is meant to be placed on the wall, not actually understood, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Like, or made or... or yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Like uh, the other good ex- counterpoint there is you have that sequence when, in Paris when they're all dining together, they go to the Chinese restaurant. Mm-hmm. I mean, so there they are, you have an Italian and French group eating Chinese food together in a group and it pans, you have that great... Pan away from them, and you have a different uh, group of people eating next to them, and a different group next to them, and then the fascist handler eating alone. Yeah, and it's like, yeah, right? Like that's that's what that is. Fascism is isolating, right? It it cuts you off from from people, from another
1: important point that I thought was interesting was why the main character values conformity so much Mm -hmm. and how harmful it is to other people, essentially, right? Like he grew up ashamed of his latent queerness and that led to his extreme desire for conformity that leads to him being someone who upholds fascism um, and so that's kind of the harm of um, I, I guess like that kind of judgment right know, or uh, ostracization
2: yeah well and and like why fascism does that right yeah. like it, it it doesn't value these kind of this kind of u- uniqueness in a person um, and because you need everybody to just say go along get along and fascism, like, that's that's how it functions. There's that great uh, quote that I'm going to have to paraphrase or, or mangle when they, they talked about, like, the good Nazis weren't the brown shirts, right? Like, the good Nazis weren't, you know, joining the party and, like, running for parliament or whatever. Like, the good Nazis were just the people who said, yep, okay. It was a job. It was, yeah, <laughs> that's just it. Or, like, okay, fine, I'll vote for the party, and, and that's that. Like, that's that's the good Nazi, and, like, that's who this guy is. He's the good Nazi. The good German, the
0: Italian in this case. Um, so, yeah, I think that that's... He says it so okay. matter-of-factly, too. He's yeah. just like, I'm a fascist. Yeah. With, like, which, at that time, would have been normal. Like, a fascist party was a thing in Italy. Mm-hmm. The fascism as a term comes from Italy, but... Yeah, this it's movie It's funny made. just, like, how, like, plain he is about it. Yeah, and the, the movie yeah. was made
2: in 1970. Like, yeah. Bertolucci knew what he was doing when he had that line delivered that way.
0: Also, the mistake of the professor is to try and bring him in, yes. too. The professor's like... We're, You're I'm an anti-fascist. Where you are a fascist, and we can sit down and have dinner. And yeah. That uh, the movie is like, nope, that is not true. It's a lethal like, error. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah.
2: Literally get, get, gets. Him by
0: killed. the way, it gets you and your wife killed. Yeah, yeah. Exactly.
2: And undermines whatever work you were doing for the anti-fascist cause. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Exactly right. Um, so yeah, the, the, the other lesson here is you know kill fascists, which is a good lesson. <laughs> um, so uh, yeah, I, I uh, agree with all of that. Um, and then how well that those messages are reinforced with the cinematography, right? Like this, this is a movie that has a, a famous canted angle, a, 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 a Dutch shot, which we've discussed at length in, in other episodes, um, which really calls, it, calls attention to like the, the character's sense of morality and sense of self literally being askew. But the motif that I think is most obvious here is the use of bars, like literal like top to bottom bars. Mm-hmm. in this movie you see it all the time in gates right like yeah. you'll see these these gates that are used um shadow bars so like light coming through a series of windows in a row to create bars along the, the floor and the ceiling um the trees at the end of the movie when um with the Anna character is running through the woods very much replicate bars suggesting that
1: they have the beautiful like light shining through the trees yes what a shot right yeah. god um it's
2: and so haunting. It, it really is and it Calls to mind, of course, prisons. Right? It calls mm-hmm. it, it calls to mind that, that this person is trapped within it, it, his normalcy is not freeing his normal his normalcy is not g- giving him, you know, any kind of you know person or sense of self. It's
0: confining him. Right. Yeah, it's and he's always being followed by the handler. Yes, like the fascism's like always stalking him. Yeah, exactly. Making but sure he, he's conforming. and yeah, he's sti- he stays conforming. Even when he's
2: like trying to shoo him away. Right, he just yeah. is always lurking around the corner. Yeah, and, yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, they hinted. At- Him having reservations about his mission, he tries to give the gun back to the handler and all that So you wonder if he's about to give up on it and like turn on them And sadly he doesn't. Yeah, well
2: and of course he has reservations because he never was really that committed to anything in the first place That's the tragedy of this character is that he has no convictions. He has no curiosity Right like which is of course the conservative the conservative failing, in my view, is a lack of curiosity <laughs> about the world around us. But yeah, so of course, like as soon as it looks like there might be some easier option out there, or he's
0: afraid of the world too. Yeah, which yeah. I think is you know in line with far right ideologies. Yeah, yeah. fear based, absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Of but also not. at the same time being afraid of the other. Yes. Yeah.
2: Yeah. In, in this case, he's afraid of himself, right? Because he he identifies his queerness within him, and that's scary. And combined with his Catholicism, horrifying, right? Mm-hmm. Um. So yeah, of course he's willing to he, he wants to get out of it as soon as there's some other as soon as he has a good meal with somebody that he kinda of likes, right? Like yeah, he's looking to give that up because he was never that invested in it at the first place. Yeah. Um but fascism doesn't require investment, it requires compliance. Yeah. And that's what we see in this movie. It's just easy compliance.
0: Yeah. I think his like class markers are important to this film too, because I think what we know from the rise of fascism in Italy it was the, you know—there was a really strong, you know, workers' movement in Italy, and that was put down by the owner, owner class. And so, him being wealthy and a part of that class, he would automatically be a fascist. Right. It, it mm-hmm. was their party; they're the ones that took over the government. But, and he has every
2: incentive to maintain yeah. that wealth and to maintain that that lifestyle. I mean, you, you see. Yeah. Like he when he goes to visit his mother, they're in a fucking mansion, right? Like look yep. at that place. They have a driver, right? Like a different driver than the one earlier, right? Like, they all have house servants. And, yep. Yep. Yeah, exactly. They all. He's wearing a suit, like a nice suit, the entire movie. Like that. That's his wardrobe. And of course, the mother character. What is she doing the whole time? Taking morphine, right? Mm-hmm. She's literally drugging herself, making herself unable to feel what's going on in the in the world around her.
0: Yeah, this is, um, the notion of like Western culture is like something to be protected Mm -hmm. is always like a hilarious notion because when when you look at it with people like this, these are the people that like really care about that idea of Western culture. Mm. And do you look at their lives? It's fucking boring. It's like, why? What are you protecting? Is, you know, just a life, a wife that you don't like. Mm-hmm. Uh, that you marry because she's uninteresting to you. Yeah, you don't do anything. You have servants that do everything, mm-hmm. and your job is meaningless. Your job is meaningless. You don't participate in culture in any interesting way. Um, so what are you? What are you protecting? Why? Yeah. Why all this? Yeah, you know, and the answer is, is wealth. Yeah,
2: wealth and yeah. your sense of self. Yeah, right. Like you are protecting your own uh, perception of who you are, and I think that that is also at the the center of this movie. Because at the at the very end, when he it, it accosts that man that he thinks is the one who had assaulted him earlier, which I think is very dubious at this point.
1: Oh, I thought it was supposed to actually be him.
2: But... I, I, it is him, yeah. Is it? Because, like, they they his not just He recognizes colors. him,
0: and he's like, you have a scar. And oh, it's like,
2: was it actually there?
0: Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and he's like, you are... You, and it's him, because he, he runs off. He's using the same pickup yeah. line. Right. Would I, I, line. I, I thought that it was supposed to be more ambiguous than that. Okay. okay no, but, no, no. I think the film is meant to say, like,
2: no, it is him. He just okay. sees it at that moment. Okay, so, like, yeah. even even if it is, like, what he ends up doing is blaming him for the assassination in Paris. And so like he, uh, like that assassination conflicts with his sense of who he is, right? Like that's why he's trying to externalize it and project it onto his life's great boogeyman, which is this driver. And that's fascinating, right? That like he, his notion of himself as somebody that is conventional and somebody that like doesn't deviate from what you're supposed to be doing is so important to him that like this act that preserved the lifestyle that he values so highly has to be externalized.
0: And then at the very end commits a very cowardly act, right? Right. Where like the one friend that he had, who is also a fascist, he immediately throws under the bus. Yes. Yes, and, exactly. So he can yeah. blend
1: in with this new society that's rising and continue yeah. to be normal.
0: the <laughs> most cowardly act, right? You're, right, yeah. At least, would, at least stick to your beliefs if you're... <laughs> but address, it, it,
2: right? He is, right, because he doesn't have any right. beliefs outside yeah. of self-preservation right. and preservation of his material. Yeah.
1: That's the frustrating part, right? He essentially gets to get away with all this and in the end he gets to be one of those guys who's like, oh, you know, I wasn't really believing yep. in it and, you know, I was just doing what I was told and all that. It, like you saw what he did, like how he's many responsible of those, for this stuff. Yeah, how many
2: of those are there? Right, yeah. exactly, exactly. Um, yeah, there was a great movie that had a similar theming that came out last year um, called Never Look Away. Um, it was a German film uh, by the same guy that did um, The Lives of Others, which we watched mm-hmm. earlier. Um, and it, it deals with that idea that there was this, one of the lead characters, played by Sebastian Koch, who was in Lives of Others, um, was very involved in the Nazi Party, and he essentially executed people at the mm-hmm. at the behest of of the the Nazi regime, and then the, Hitler dies. You know the Germans lose, Nazi Party falls, and this guy just kind of keeps on living his life. And the conflict in the film is that the, these the our, the protagonist is trying to reveal him as this former Nazi leader. Um, but, yeah, that's something that we're, we, we still deal with, and it's very likely something that this country is going to have to deal with in the next 10 or 15 years, if, assuming <laughs> yeah. like it doesn't well, And You saw
0: that. a rebound in Germany because yeah. um, when uh, apartheid was going on, uh, the companies like Mercedes mm-hmm. supported the apartheid government in South Africa. So by not punishing the people who supported the Nazi regime came back yeah. And once again, you know, in, in South Africa. Yeah. And that you know, that cycle will continue. And they
2: have seen no punishment for the support of apartheid in South Africa. So nope. Nope. who knows what's next or what is current or what or, or what else they're supporting. And that and that's just it. Like the, the support doesn't need to be active. Right? Like and, and I think that's what this movie is talking
0: about. Or the climate apocalypse too, that yeah. they all have yeah. like very <laughs> much example. a hand in, right? You yeah. Know, like all of these these Things you know.
2: What would one? Some handful <laughs> of companies, companies is responsible for seventy yeah. percent of, of emissions. Yeah, exactly like that. And that's just it. it. It's it's passivity that ends up endorsing whatever is going on.
0: And I I think it's also important that connections to capital. Mm-hmm. To both of those things, I think are together. Yes. Yeah. I mean, because that that the, is the uh, the other the tinderbox for fascism. For, yeah. Yeah.
2: And you, and you see it literalized in this movie where. Our, the Marcello character is is a passenger in that vehicle. Like the, the framing device mm-hmm. that we have is him being driven to the site of the assassination, and then we go into these flashbacks.
0: Protected by the car too, like the you know again his wealth like protects him. Right,
2: but he mm-hmm. he's not even the driver of yeah. the car. Like he is literally a passenger yeah. Yeah. in the back seat. Right. Like he he doesn't have any agency. He tries to get out at one
1: point. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, that's, and then he just gets right back in the car. I don't know. That was a little <coughs> weird, but. right? And and I think that, again, like some of this is his memory of what's going on, and I think that he is not a reliable uh, narrator in in this sense. So he probably is telling himself, "Oh no, like I I tried to resist and I wasn't able to," and yeah, that's not what really happened. Um, that that last sequence with Anna Heroic. running through the woods is
0: is great. If, if, and probably one of the earliest shots where they're running around with a camera. Mm-hmm. I bet that's like mm-hmm. not possible you know, before this. Yeah. That or if they have, like, a small enough camera that they can move around. They're, um, I think they're over-cranking the camera, which is where you normally film is shot at 24 frames per second. Mm-hmm. You When you over-crank it, you drop a few films, and it makes things appear, like, fast or frantic. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Use, use <clears throat> a lot in fight scenes. Um, and, yeah, I, I learned this only recently from okay, someone I've who explained this on YouTube. I did not um, know that. <laughs> but... Uh, you can see that effect when things appear like shaky or frantic. Yeah, <laughs> yes. like things start here. to look yeah. a
1: little jerky because they are dropping frames. Yeah,
0: so they're like overclocking the camera to like drop frames. Yeah. yeah.
2: Interesting. Yeah, they, yeah. you're probably right, that is what's happening there.
0: Um, the Lego Movie actually did this uh, <laughs> to make things appear like a stop animation film. Yeah. No. They, like, yeah. they drop frames like on purpose in the Lego yeah, movie. that's someplace. interesting. Yeah, yeah very, very, very clever. clever way of uh not cheering. actually doing all that. yeah <laughs> yeah yeah huh um have either of you seen the sopranos no He's, he's I, I know that, I read that the scene in the woods is replicated in The Sopranos. Oh, okay, so that's interesting. Yeah. Okay, because yeah.
2: I, I saw it and I was like, oh, that's just like Adriana.
0: It was purposely re- referenced. Oh, okay, that's good. Okay, and Steve so Buscemi directed that episode. Yes, he oh. yeah, did, that's true. That's Again, a... this is very surface level knowledge because this appears in the Wikipedia. <laughs> Google that. Appreciate our fine film. Okay. Well, I wanted to reread the plot of the film because when it was over, I was like, I'm not totally sure what yeah. happened. So yeah. I think the plot summary in Wikipedia is a little more Straightforward, then, because
1: it tells you which parts are flashbacks and memories, and that's a little it, unclear at the beginning. It, you're yeah, right. It is.
0: Yeah, Um But yeah. I think it's good to read that because it gives you a better understanding of like what even transpired in the film, yeah. which is honestly challenging. Yeah, I, mean, I think uh, it's
2: intentionally unclear. Like I think that the yeah. this is drawing on like some almost expressionistic style of storytelling. Like especially at the end of the movie, like we're it, it's starting to look very German in its. Like, use of light, I think. Yeah. Looks very German to me. Um, And so I... Which to me, and I think to a lot of viewers, would would suggest that this is a a dreamlike state, that this is where the reality is breaking down.
0: I would also connect it to, like, one of the major elements of fascism is the protection of, like, a false history. Sure. And Mm -hmm. here, just by, like, having these, like, false memories of things, or at least unreliable memories, is connected to, like, the major plank of fascism, which is, like, you... The past is what we say it is. Yeah. Mean, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah.
2: Well, and that, they, they, they draw a point on that even more explicitly with, with the, the allegory of the cave sequence,
1: right? Because, yeah. like, that's essentially it like... It felt
0: an, a little corny when they were, like, directly explaining it, but it was like, oh, okay. But, like, I, <laughs>
1: I like that allegory. I thought it's a great, um, like, through line in the movie, I guess. Yes. There's some other references to it later on, and I yeah. think it's a great like, metaphor for what's going on. Even though you're kind of twisting it beyond what it originally meant, but it's pretty flexible, I think. It,
0: well, yeah, that's why it's it stood up for thousands yeah. of years. Yeah. Um, but I mean, it's Stuff like that always reads, like, grad school audience to me, where it's like, mm. oh, your, your multi-degree <laughs> audience would appreciate this. So. I mean, everybody
2: knows the allegory of the cave, I think. I think. What uh, I liked uh, about that sequence, and what I think elevated it beyond just like that, even undergrad level <laughs> philosophy yeah. uh, is really how well they played with the, the light and shadow in that sequence and how well it, it, uh, so so it illustrates the idea. It, it, it illustrates yeah. the idea, but it also illustrates the idea in the context of fascism because you literally have him giving a Roman salute with the shadow of it being projected behind him and like,
0: and it's larger than life. And like, <clears throat> right, like yeah.
2: this, it, it, and like that I think was, was uh, effective and, and well done and yeah. kind of, well, X is like a fulcrum for the movie.
1: Well, it's like a... It can parallel with how the state like kind of traps people and only shows them like their version of reality. Yeah, exactly. To, they only give people like a specific reality and makes them follow that, right? Right. And, and that's kind of a parallel with fascism. Yeah, and that's like this guy's lived experience. Yeah, and, but
0: what... No, go ahead. Well, I, I think it's also important that like this film was made like within one generation mm-hmm. of, you know, the events that are yeah. depicted. Yeah. Um, and so I, I think it's important to watch documents like that of people whose like lived experience was yeah. real fascism yeah. at live and affected by it or having grown up in the fallout of that. Yeah, and, it, I, think,
2: I think Bertolucci would have been alive, maybe, during, during fasc- when Fascist Italy was active. Um, but he would have been if he was alive. He would have been very, very young. But his parents certainly were. Like his parents, very likely lived through this. Yeah. And and like hand retelling. Stuff. Yeah, and he probably had a, a hand account of what's going on here. And to date, like Mussolini's granddaughter is currently in the Italian legislature. Like, <laughs> yeah. Italian, and she's an asshole. Too. And she's awful. Yeah. Yeah. Surprise. <laughs> um So it's also did,
0: funny. She's on Twitter, and it's funny to troll her with pictures of her, grand, her uh, <laughs> grandfather. Jerry was doing that, right? Yes. Who was?
1: Jim Carrey. Really? Yeah. yeah. That's very good. Yeah. Uh, going, going back to the, the cave allegory, the uh-huh. one thing I noticed was that the very final shot of the film, he's like sitting, this is after he's like renounced his fascism <clears throat> and sold out his friend and all that. Mm-hmm. He's sitting in front of the these bars and there's like a fire behind him. Yeah. And so it's set up exactly like the cave allegory, right? Yeah. But then he turns around looks behind him and it was the man that... Um, it's a sex worker. Yeah, that his the the driver guy who he thought he murdered was like previously trying to have sex with right yeah and so th- i think that represents like his reality yep. i guess um and his reality is like that kind of that queerness that he's denying denied been denied. unable to to embrace yeah and that's kind of set up behind him like the actual reality in the allegory like the object the K- that's being held he's up looking back it, like yeah. very
0: yeah. afraid of it too yeah you're right on the money
1: yeah. yeah i think that's exactly how that's that's meant to be read which really i
2: because I, I, I read, I read up on this a little bit too after I watched it, and like some of the readings were like, yeah, some people have said that there's a queer reading here, or like sometimes there's a.
0: It's it's like the a, most important. Thing I think about it's the critical film. to the text. Yeah, I think
2: it's yeah, I think it's fun to. This is a queer movie. I think it's critical to yeah. understanding what's going yeah, on. Yeah, very, very. Yeah, like
0: the. the i very like advanced for its time. Like yes. The, what the Stonewall riots hadn't even happened, and like it, yeah. it was like illegal to be gay in. Most countries still, mm-hmm. yeah. Not that that's like changed much, but like, well, it, it was certainly yeah. true in in yeah. Italy,
2: and certainly true in in fascist Italy, and yeah. they just got done executing however many uh, gay people in in Nazi Germany. So yeah, that was within living memory when this movie came out. Um, so it is it is quite remarkable, and that it's played so subtly too, right? Like that, it's yeah. it's about. It's about that, but it doesn't like need to It's like the most important, it.
0: like small detail in the film. Right. And then oh, it,
2: yeah. they also yeah. implicate the church in it as well, right? Yeah. Because like it comes out when he's confessing his He's like sin. a murdered guy. It, it, and it's like, is sodomy worse than murder? And like the priest like doesn't give him a straight answer to that question. And yeah, well, I like that he was questioning that. I thought that was a really funny it, scene it, actually. It, it was. But
0: the priest is like really concerned that he was gay. Right. He's not concerned that he had like murdered. And it's so, again draw, drawing
2: yeah. a connection between the Church and and fascism and the Catholic Church's, the Catholic Church's complicity in uh, the Holocaust and in especially Ital- Italian fascism because it's the Roman Catholic Church. Um, so yeah, I thought that sequence was really critical to the movie, really important to understanding what's going on here um, and you're right to to pick up on it.
1: Yeah. Uh, uh, I, go. I Going back to your summary of the movie, I thought it was interesting that uh, you read his relationship with Anna uh, as being like reciprocal I guess that's how you described it. Because like, so yeah. he definitely fell in love with Anna, but how I read it was that Anna knew that he was a fascist agent and that she was playing along to hope to gain his sympathy to save the professor's yeah, you're, life. Yeah, you're right.
2: That's a, that that is the better way to okay. explain. Yeah, no, you're, you're correct because it wouldn't make sense any any other way. Like, yeah, like, and like his attraction to her is really just based on him like. Losing his virginity to a prostitute that kind of looks like her or something, yeah, which is weird. Um, and
1: so yes, yeah, I, I think you're right that she was trying to protect her yeah. husband. So like to see like how aware she was of the situation and how hard she was working to try to avert it mm-hmm. just was very tragic because you you kind of see the event coming at you throughout the movie. Mm-hmm. Right. It literally and, is, right? Like that's the framing device. Yeah, like exactly. Where they're heading the whole time, and you time. start to realize that like the woman they were talking about early in the film is her, yep. and you just kind of know this is going somewhere terrible, and yeah. it's just this awful feeling. What, what a great performance
2: mm-hmm. from the the Anna character, who I don't recall the actor's name. I will look it up now, but like she comes to the movie really late. Like like we're well into the movie; it's a good hour at this point, and she builds that character. Quickly, and like we learned that character pretty well, and she's very central to, to what this movie is. Um, and I, I, really liked her here; I thought she was great. what do you guys think?
0: Yeah, I think that's <laughs> yeah. good. I think the like kind of her like implied attraction to his wife, yeah, well, yeah, was a like, more a queerness in this like movie. twist. Yeah, to it. no, yeah. that's actually
2: really important, right? Because yeah. here's this woman that's like embracing her queerness and comfortable with it, and like ready to act on it in an affirmative way. At juxtaposed with this man who has yeah. also has queer feelings and is definitely afraid and it's destroying his life that he's yeah. that he's unable to also interesting
0: that. that his wife notes at the end of the film like yeah. oh you like she said the woman had said like oh you're a bad person but you're my husband and i just went along with that yeah and which is yeah, yeah which, like? which again, like, shows, like, her participation in the mm-hmm. crime as well. Right, yeah, right.
2: Which, it's, it, it, dumbness doesn't get you out
1: of it. Right? Yeah. Like, being... You mean the the wife? Yeah, the wife. The, yeah, the, wife, wife. the yeah. wife is like,
0: oh, I just trusted you because you're my husband, and I know that you wouldn't do anything wrong. Yeah. Or, like, if
2: you did it, it must have been moral. It must, right? Which like, it actually like, says at one point, yeah. right? Like, if it's his job, then it must be a good job. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Like it must be a, the right thing to do if you did yeah,
1: it. Yeah, that was... That was a great scene. First of all, that was a very uh, well-framed scene where they're on opposite ends of the apartment with a wall in between them. Mm -hmm. Um, But I like that she goes up and, like, I think she, like, is aware that he was responsible for the murder of the professor and his wife. And she, like, pauses for a second, and you can tell she's kind of struggling, and she says, I can tell that really advanced your career. (laughs) But you can tell that she had some struggles, like, saying that. So she was, like, you know, grappling with it. And I thought that was like really well delivered. She liked them, right? Like
2: yeah. that was it. She just liked them. She liked being around them yeah. in a way that she probably didn't really like being around her husband. Like that—that that dude's a total drag. Yeah, <laughs> she yeah, had a sucks. good time. He sucks. And yeah. he
0: does like mean things to her during yeah. the film. He's a like jackass. when she's like, "Oh, I want to see the Eiffel Tower." He's like, "Okay, cool." It was and, like puts her in a car, and he's like, "Cool." Yeah, yeah. he wants
1: to go hit on that the other was, girl. I,
0: it was kind of funny. It just was because uh, he's like.
2: It was so... See you later. It was <laughs> funny, but it was also so sad. Like, oh, that, yeah, yeah. That, for me, like the, I just felt a...
0: The cruelty of it. Is, uh, like, yeah.
2: Perhaps more than any other moment in the film, I was yeah. like, oh, God, that's <laughs> such a sad thing to, to do to somebody. Also, I
0: know where they are in Paris, Sure. and that is a short walk over to the Eiffel <laughs> Tower. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, it did right not require a car, although no. the car was like an added Elements, yeah. Right, because you get
2: the door slam and everything. Yeah. Um, returning to the um, lesbian sequence, or almost lesbian sequence, what I, I noted about that is that it, that's one of the few times in Paris where we see somebody framed alone. right? Because you have the Marcello character peeping on them, and oh, yeah, Anna, yeah, yeah. Anna knows they're there, and she is rebuffed, but she acknowledges that she has seen Marcello and sees him there, and he's standing in the dark, and she's standing in the light, and then we have a shot from the very end of the hallway with him standing alone in that hallway and like that's i think the only or one of the few moments mm-hmm. where we see someone standing alone while in Paris and I think it's very telling that it's at that moment when his yeah. like his conflict with his queerness is at the forefront right like that that's when he's alone mm-hmm.
1: um, well, i thought what was cool about the shot was he gets off the elevator and he walks like away from the camera towards where their door is but the camera is also <laughs> receding from him yep Mm-hmm. Um, I just thought that looked great it, yeah it does and, like, it, it, there's
2: some I think there's an instinct in the 70s to like now have a camera that can zoom and like yeah. really really zoom all the time um, and it, it was very tactful of Bertolucci to resist that right like there weren't that many jarring like this camera was pretty active it moved around a lot but it, it was never jarring it was never it never felt like it was moving because it could move but it, it felt like it was moving because the Scene in the film called for it to move, and yeah, that's further isolated. Right, and like that is a good, good instinct, especially in the '70s when it's still kind of a new thing to have a more active camera, mm-hmm. and especially as a zooming lens um, that that he utilized
1: here. So that was that was well chosen. Funny enough, the scene that I remember the most for cinematography is when he's at his mother's place, mm-hmm. yes. and the camera is like sliding like, between the two rooms, mm-hmm. and then it slides between the two rooms on the other side. Yeah. And I, I don't know why that shot just really stood out to me. I'm not sure what purpose it served, but it looked great, and it was really memorable. Yeah, well, it's
2: more just separation. Right? Like,
1: people are being separated yes. in this
2: fascist society, right? Like, there's the, a wall running between them. Like, there's a lot of famous, evidently, because I, I didn't recognize them. Or I recognized them when I watched this movie, but I had seen some of these shots earlier just in life. Uh, but, like, there's a, a sequence where the... Um, the leaves, like they, you have all these leaves on the oh, ground yeah. outside of that mansion and they're, they're like blown up in the air. And like that's a pretty beautiful and famous um, shot right there. Uh, but yeah, a lot of them. Uh, same thing with uh, in the when they visit the father and the mental institution. That was apparently shot in the Coliseum. <laughs> so... Like, which is, like, I don't know how they got the rights to do that. Um, so the parallel I don't the, think
1: that scene was in the Coliseum. I think the ending scene must have been in the Coliseum. I,
2: I read that it was. Yeah. That, yeah. I mean, I could be wrong or could have misunderstood. Because that's what I read. the one
1: that's in the the fascist building, and that's why there's all the rows of benches, right? Unless we're right. talking about a different. This one has all the rows of yeah. benches, yeah, yeah, yeah. and that's a different building. Um, yeah. Okay, maybe I'm thinking of. of or
0: maybe I misunderstood. There is I a saw scene that. shot of the Coliseum. Okay. Yeah, I think um, the yeah, ending it's in the background. It must have they're, been the ending scene. They're meeting. He's meeting, like. He's trying to join the secret police, but he's, yes. like, kind of bumbling. And yeah, I okay, think yeah. Because that's in, in behind them, uh, you see the Coliseum.
2: Right. Well, yeah. and, and just this parallel between. Like ancient Rome and the fascist obsession like with ancient culture, right? And as yeah. it's falling apart, right? Like, yeah. And they don't give a shit. They just as long as they have the framing device, it's fine. Yep. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, any um, any closing thoughts on the conformist? It's it's a challenging
0: watch, but yes. I think pays off. Um, yeah. I also read I, again this is from the wiki article so I didn't like do <laughs> yeah. like a deep dive on this but this was going to premiere at some big film festival mm-hmm. and then the film festival was canceled because there was another film about the Vietnam war about a war crime a specific war crime that happened during the Vietnam war mm-hmm. and the
2: so that movie from...
0: that movie was called <laughs> okay and they just like kind of like reshot this like war crime mm-hmm. and the whole film festival got canceled <laughs> Uh, oh, so this movie like probably would have, I think it was a Venice film festival, I might be wrong about that, but it would have won like, probably would have won like a big prestigious award, mm-hmm. but then nobody saw it, because the film festival was canceled, because it's 1971, and I'm pretty sure Vietnam's still going in 71, and this like anti-Vietnam film caused this like mm. film festival to be canceled.
2: Huh, yeah, because yeah,
0: this ended up getting screened at the New York
2: Film Festival. I'm not sure if it premiered there, yeah, but like it. Because it I, I, I saw a couple um, short snippets of talks that Bertolucci did at the New York Film Festival when it in the '70s when this screen there. Um, so I'm not sure if that's where it first was released, but yeah, it didn't do the festival circuit at that time. Yeah, yeah. How do you feel about uh, any uh, any closing thoughts? Charles? Yeah,
1: same as before. Just very pleasantly surprised by it. Um, like it looked great. Um, like it was very interesting to think about you know just great in every respect yeah i mean
2: i, I had high expectations of this movie because i just knew of its reputation coming in i'm just happy that you guys liked it frankly yeah. like i feel like I I, I I have missed on my last like three or four <laughs> for my selections here so I, I it's i'm glad that you guys liked an art film i'm glad you guys liked a forum film i'm i am i am really happy about that that's that's music to my ears so wonderful um anyway we'll be uh, we'll be back in a moment with uh things we've seen stay tuned Welcome back to Things We've Seen. This is a sequence where we talk about more recent movies that we have seen either at home or in theaters. Uh, First up is Charles. Charles, what did you see this week?
1: Uh, So I was on an airplane and I decided to see um, Fantastic Beasts Crimes of Grindelwald. Jesus. Yeah, and obviously I'd heard very bad things. And I'm like a big Harry Potter fan.
0: I'm not sure I understand. Is, Is this the second Movie, beast movie? Yes.
1: It's the sequel to Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. Okay. Um, cool. I'm, I'm so I'd seen the first one. <laughs> yeah. I'm a big fan of Harry Potter. The first one was just like kind of meh, and I heard very bad things about this, so I didn't go out to see it in theaters. I saw this on the airplane because I was very curious about why it was reviewed so poorly. Um, and like I can really see why. It was, <laughs> it was an extremely boring movie. Like... It was. It had the same problem as the first one, where you can clearly tell that they're trying to do too much with what the franchise is supposed to be, because um, they have tons of different plot lines about, like you know, wizarding lineages and like the relationship between Grindelwald and Dumbledore, and then Newt's story and and him in school with his brother and all that. And there's too much going on. None of them got enough focus to be meaningful. Uh, there's a story with the the kid or the, the Ezra Miller character from the first one. Um, so, yeah, it's tons of different stories that sort of fit together, um, but they don't feel like they mean anything. Uh, the best part is just Newt Scamander as a character and dealing with the beasts, but, like, this movie isn't really about the fantastic <laughs> beasts, so, like, why are we even doing this? Just, like, break the facade. It's a Grindelwald story. That's what you want to tell because you can make a whole other s- series about it, right? Um... I don't know how they made the Wizarding World so boring because, like, it's such a magical and like interesting world, and somehow they made it boring. Like, there's some good special effects. Um, there's some very aesthetically cool scenes, but a lot of the movie is very dark and drab because they're trying to make it look like I don't know, edgy and like mature and yeah. all that, right? Yeah. And so they make this it's Wizarding the
0: Batman version. Of the yeah, world. yeah, yeah, exactly.
1: And they just make this like really cool Wizarding aesthetic kind of really boring and drab. And so much of the movie happens at night and during inclement weather. Um, See, it's hard to tell what's going on and, like, that's not very interesting. And then, it doesn't feel like the plot really goes anywhere. Like, Grindelwald, like, escapes and starts to build, like, a wizarding supremacy group to, like, kill humans or kill muggles so that wizards can rule the world or whatever, right? Um, That's, like, his goal in, like... The plot builds up to him, like, holding, like, the equivalent of, like, a Nazi rally with pure-blood wizards or whatever and calling for them to action. Um, but it doesn't really feel like the climax of a movie, but they end that scene with, like, a big climactic battle just because they know the movie's near over. Like, that's been they, about two hours. <laughs> yeah, and so they yeah. have a big battle yeah. out of nowhere. It didn't feel like it was building up to, like, a real battle, but it was there, and <laughs> it was really stupid. And then the movie just kind of ends there on a cliffhanger because they want to make another movie so they can like sell a bunch of more tickets and like it's a obviously really unsatisfying and dumb ending. Um, so. Don't bother with the series.
2: <laughs> I will continue. I haven't seen any of them. I will yeah. continue yeah. not Don't bother. It. I'm good. <laughs> yeah, the only thing I know about this is I watched Jenny Nicholson's video on it, which was great. I got to
1: go back and watch that. Cause I didn't. <laughs> yeah. I didn't watch it because I hadn't seen the movie, but I would love that. Oh, you know, she does great content, especially for bad movies. Well, and she is. She <laughs> has such a good eye for like
2: plot analysis like specifically like mm-hmm. script um, what would feel like script level analysis
1: and she fucking tears this movie apart it's, it's yeah, very good. like I would have been better off just playing a few more runs of Slay the Spire <laughs> instead of watching this movie on that airplane <laughs> I
2: okay.
1: but I was curious well that is exactly what I anticipated from yeah. from that movie
0: uh, across what did you see it's a movie called Starfish came out last year it's a little indie film um, plot of Starfish is we uh, are introduced to our main character a starfish? Um, yeah, no. And, uh, she <laughs> is uh, played by Virginia Gardner. Her name's Aubrey. She's at the uh, funeral of her best friend. Mm-hmm. And she leaves the funeral and goes to a Pacific Northwest location um, and breaks into her now deceased friend's apartment and um, just kind of hangs out. And then goes to bed and wakes up and the apocalypse has happened. Oh <laughs> okay, they <my God. laughs> That hit 100 fast. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And when she tries to leave the apartment, there's um, a sort of like unseen monster that kind of chases her throughout this town. And this guy kind of like surprises her and like runs off. And she's like trying to contact someone else. Um, so she locks the apartment and there... It's a bar downstairs in the apartment, upstairs, and she goes up to the apartment, and she finds like a walkie-talkie, and she connects with somebody on the outside, but she doesn't trust this person because he gives her like some weird information. And then in the apartment, she finds this like mixtape, and she finds a note from her friend that she's hidden all these mixtapes around town in places that they had experienced together. Hmm. and then some time goes by and she's, like, kind of low on resources and decides to, like, leave the apartment and try and find the mixtapes, and the movie kind of, like, goes from there. Um, It's correctly described as, like, very Lovecraftian. Okay. um, In that there's, like, kind of cool-looking monsters, like, interspersed throughout the film when you finally see them, and it deals with the apocalypse and sort of notions of, like, Loss and Mourning. It's a very, like, dour film. Mm -hmm. Hmm. Um, It sounds really cool. I wouldn't say it's a great film. And there are some very annoying elements to it. Um, It's, like, really twee film. The major plot points of, like, finding a mixtape come across as being, like, overly cute. There's a lot of, kind of, like, Radiohead-esque music that is, like... (laughs) droning and meant to be cool and uh lots of like dream like sequences because she like goes to different places and falls asleep and then we see like her sleep reality so then it makes us question the whole movie as to whether or not the whole thing is a dream sequence or not um and it's very like kind of like indie you know culture like early aughts like indie culture kind of like shoved into this like Lovecraftian experience um, so <laughs> there are things I like about this film and things I dislike about this film a lot I think it's shot well um, but then there's also just this like cuteness and I, I think like the main I think it's important that like the main character's hot and it like it kind of like <laughs> a lot of it seems that it's shot in the way that you shoot like a model sure. and it's like kind of emphasizes her hotness <laughs> um, and that it doesn't add up to much. And I think it misses like other than being kind of like dreamy and mopey and um, similar to uh, uh, you know, like a Sofia Coppola film. Like I think it it takes a bad influence of Sofia Coppola and injects it into something that could have gone somewhere and said something. Uh Mm. And it just seems to be about mourning and, I think like the major takeaway of the film is that like when you you know, experience loss, you should like focus on the things that like made you happy about, you know, the thing that you've lost, which I think is a good message. But the way that it communicates that is like in a really annoying like <laughs> someone who hasn't moved on from like kind of early aughts like music and, yeah. and culture. Where did you see it? Um, it's on. I streamed it. It's on. Crime, I think. Okay. Um, but I'd heard that it was, like, cool because it has, like... I totally missed has one. cool, like, monsters. and. Okay, so
1: it seemed like the movie was made maybe, like, 10 or 15 years too late, maybe? Yeah, yeah. for <laughs> sure. It would have
0: been, like, a huge indie hit in, like, 2005. Like, followed uh, to Little Miss Sunshine or something. Yeah. Okay. Or it uh, was a Sofia Coppola film. Like, it would have fit Somewhere. into her, like, oof. Okay. Yeah. Suicide's. Yeah. And yeah. And yeah, okay. Um, Virgin Suicide's is good. So... Yeah. Okay. There's some cool stuff. Should we watch it?
2: Like a thumbs up, thumbs down. I
0: don't. I didn't hate it. I, I think. <laughs> I, I think it's like it's shot well and it's beautifully shot and I think okay. it showcases a like a Pacific Northwest geography okay. really well. I, I think having a single actor in a movie is very challenging. I, I think she did a good job. I think the the issues are not so much with her, but like how she is shot mm-hmm. and. I, th- I think there's, like, script-level issues in this film. Mm-hmm. And when it was scary, I think it was, like, good. And mm-hmm. then when they re- sort of reveal things, it becomes, like, a lot less scary, especially the way that she, like, protects herself from the monsters. Yeah. is like, oh, this is... It, like, it gets corny. You're just like, oh. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I've mixed emotions about it. I, I think there's very few good version like translations of lovecraft's work it's tough and and i think his audience which is numerous at this point are really rabid for okay. that mm-hmm. so i think people are really high on that and speak very highly of this film of the like good lovecraftian elements i think are good mm-hmm. um but there's there really hasn't been someone who's like done a good job with his work cuz it's so hard to translate because of his racism and uh but like the ideas that he works with are like really cool. And well, it's the, like, yeah.
2: And the imagery that he works with is really yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah, like, the, and, that, like, and, the like, texture of that is yeah, and, like, yeah. yeah. The feeling, I think what people are really after when they like Lovecraft is this feeling of like. Dread. Dread and awe, like this combination of like something un- understandable and unknowable. Yeah. yeah, And when that's what's appealing, if you, once you start explaining the thing, that feeling goes away and i think that that's what some of these uh modern filmmakers that try to adapt lovecraft style things do wrong is that they 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 see something unknowable and a desire to understand it and therefore rather than understand rather than saying that like not understanding it is what makes it appealing and like the unknowableness of it is what makes it fascinating they say oh I'm gonna make something that has an answer to it.
0: Yeah, and like, we'll yeah. And like that's wrong. Like that's I, incorrect. I, I think there are a few good takes on it. I think Annihilation does a good job. because yeah. it doesn't answer the questions. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, and I also think that the Mist is a good version of okay. Lovecraft. And, and that's more of like a sh- like a schlocky horror take on it. Sure. But the Mist does a good job because of the Mist yeah. uh, <clears throat> of like hiding sure. the things. So we see monsters in like little clips and places. right, But we don't see them. Yeah, yeah. and the monsters are also always changing like there's an escalation of like you see a small monster and then a larger and then a larger and then a larger monster Mm -hmm. and then this does a good job of like like, what the hell's going on yeah exactly um there is a nick cage movie that's coming out there that's in production that is a straight adaptation of a a lovecraft film and i'm excited for that after seeing mandy which is also very lovecraftian yeah interesting um it's some something color um but I guess Annihilation is loosely based on this Lovecraft story as well, or takes inspiration. Be, from all it. right. So that makes sense. Because there's, sure. like, there's like an asteroid that falls, and then like the <laughs> environment around the asteroid Canine. shifts, okay. and that's what the Lovecraft story is. And so, huh. Yeah. All right. Um. So we'll see. I'm I'm looking forward to that film. All right. I <laughs> do yeah. now. Yeah.
2: All right. Um, I'll you, be brief. Um, I saw a yeah. movie called Loose. Um, this is uh, Luce spelled L-U-C-E. It's the main character's name. Um, the premise is that the, the main character, Luce, um, is an adopted former child soldier in Africa. He was brought to Virginia. No, he I down, heard about this. Yeah. yeah, he was adopted by um, Naomi Watts and Tim Roth. Um, he is in his senior year of high school, and he's the star pupil. He's a the, the ideal student, straight A's. Everybody likes him, super nice guy. He gives speeches all the time at school. He's a track star. like He's on the fast track. to just massive success. Um, the conflict is introduced when one of his teachers contacts the Naomi Watts character to notify her that her son, Luce, has written an essay for class in which he advocates for violence as a solution to political problems. Um, And that the teacher has a problem with this. After she reads this essay, she searches his locker and finds um, a large quantity of illegal fireworks. She thinks that this is dangerous and he might be up to something, um, and she notifies the parent because of this. It's a difficult movie to describe plot-wise because it is very densely plotted. Like there's a Mm. lot of machinations uh, and a lot of shifting allegiances. uh, Because this is the first time that these parents have really had to deal with this this uh, son having any allegations of misbehavior at all, and like how they deal with that. Um, how they deal with that as adoptive parents um, is a big part of the movie. Um, it's most fundamentally uh, about race because the the loose character is being accused by a black teacher as well. The the teacher is accusing him of this, and the central conflict doesn't seem to be in interracial. It's not about the. It's not necessarily about the conflict between white people and persons of color, but intra-racial. So the, it seems to be a generational conversation about how the older generation teacher understands her blackness, as opposed to the, the Gen Z loose character and how he is conceptualizing his own blackness um, within the society as he understands it, being younger and more in touch with technology and more in touch with the, his peers on that level. Um, I thought it was a, a complex movie, it was, I thought it was good, it, it certainly should be, go, should be seen. Um, it, it skews easy answers, like I don't think the movie comes down firmly on either side. Um, I think the audience I saw it with was really, really on the teacher's side, just based on the reactions that I heard uh, in the theater. I think it would be very easy to go and see this with someone else and, and, and have the audience come down in a different direction, I kind of did. Um, so I don't want to reveal too much, again, don't want to reveal too much about the plot because, A, it's complicated. Um, and B, I think that kind of reveals too much and like how that unfolds is the fun of the movie. It like plays out like a thriller in that respect. Um, but it, it, I don't think it's made much money. and <laughs> I don't think it's doing that well at the box office because it's hard to sell and it has a bad title.
0: People like the trailer. It, it's like a, the trailer is shot around yeah the, cool. the trailer is cool even the trailer is like intense yeah and, it, huh. is, and yeah. Is, is, it is an intense movie
2: right and like mm-hmm. it, it certainly like it toys with audience perception literally in terms of how it like doles out information at the audience and audience allegiances like whose side are you really on it shifts from the loose character to the teacher to the parents and back and forth throughout the movie and that is handled really deftly and that's, that's tough to do um, it's a, apparently an adaptation of a stage play um, so it's talky, like there's there's a lot of long conversations, um, but they're they really are riveting um, and, and it works really well. So um, go watch it. Um, it's called Loose L U C E. It's in theaters now. Uh, Charles, your your pick next. What are we watching? I would like to see Gattaca. Okay, yeah, me too. <laughs> Movie's great. More am yeah. <laughs> yeah, into it. Ethan
0: Hawke, always good. Always good. Always good.
2: Um, okay, cool. Good pick. More, more sci-fi too. Yeah. Can't miss always get, always yeah. want to pick sci-fi. I always want to pick sci-fi. Um, All right, well, thank you for listening, everybody. Um, uh, If you're liking the show, please share it with folks. It really does make a difference. We are on Facebook. We are on SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Play. um, And we'll be back next week with Gattaca.